Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Good to see everybody back here again. Um, uh, I apologize for taking a vacation. I got a lot of different messages, uh, which indicated to me that I did not realize that there were many, many, many more people I needed to ask permission from uh, <laughs> before I got any family time away. <laughs> Michila, I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll ask you next <laughs> next time I go, and I'll try and let you know as well uh, that uh, we're going to be taking a couple days hiatus. Um, but it's uh, I must say. In all seriousness, obviously I'm joking, in all seriousness, it's, uh, it was the biggest chizuk, it was real kind of uh, uh, really affirming and uh, it's a tr- it was a tremendous positive uh, experience to receive all the messages and you realize just how many people are listening and just how many people have this as part of their daily routine and learning Torah really each morning uh, to be in a Torah state of mind, uh, which is what we call the series. Um, so it's, uh, I really appreciate each and every message that people sent. Uh, thank you so much. Today's breakfast is sponsored by Michael Dweck, dedicated in honor of his friend A.B. Nisim. Hazaku Baruch for all the reading, all the hazaning. Uh, we, uh, we, we feel you are a treasured new addition to our uh, little island community over here. <laughs> and fa- as well, breakfast on the class is dedicated in loving memory. Lilu Nishmat Roni's dear father, Yosef Aryeh ben Abraham Yitzchak. Alava Shalom, sponsored by his daughter Rani and Jonathan Goldman. I know there's some other sponsors that wanted to join in today, um, but Bezrat uh, Hashem, we will have you on the Sunday edition of the class. I, I, uh, I knew that we were going to get one class today, uh, this week, uh, out, of, out, of this, out of Parashat Beshalach. And I thought to myself, if we're going to get one class only on Friday, obviously anyone who's here Shabbat will get to hear some more on the parasha. But um, in, the, uh, in our little sessions online here, we got one shot, one crack at this parasha. And I thought to myself, what, what would we talk about? Which one should we talk about this morning? Which part? I mean, the obvious thing that stands out, literally, is the Az Yashir. Az Yashir is the song that the Jewish people sang when the Jewish people went through the ocean and the Egyptians did not come out on the other side with them. Uh, obviously, the song of gratitude that the Jewish people sang is magnificent. It's layered. It was prophetic. It was very special. So, you know, we could talk about that. We could talk about the, you know, the story of the Jewish people with the, the waters, the bitter waters that happens right after the story of Bishalach. We could talk about what happens with Amalek. You know, at the end of the parasha, the parasha is rife um, with material to speak about. So I was a little conflicted. And then I decided that I have to really talk about a pasuk that, that we have right in the beginning, which I think encapsulates this miraculous and roller coaster ride that the Jewish people go on. The pasuk begins and says, It was as Paro sent the nation out of Egypt. God did not take them. Nacham means did not lead them. Right? We use the word yancheni, right? Um, these words mean they, they're to be guided. So Lo Nacham, God did not guide them, He did not take them. Uh, the way of Eretz Pelishtim, which would have been the simplest, most direct route from Egypt to Israel, is very short. How long does it take to get from Egypt to Israel? Today you can cross a little line 
there's a there's Israel, you know, where you border right over there, down in the in the bottom by Elat, you can get there very, very quickly, right? Through Taba. It's very easy. But at the time, uh, it was you know, the nature of Eretzel was not down to Taba. So where did they where did they cross over? They would have crossed, but there was a place, Eretz Pilishtim, they could have went through, would have been very quick, they would have been in Israel in five minutes. God did not take them that way. Why? Kikarov who? Because it was close. Now, that sounds like a reason to take them that way. Because it was close. What seems to be from the Pasuk an exact opposite uh, of a reason in logic. God didn't guide the Jewish people this way because it was close. So let's kind of for one second, let's take a look at what Rashi tells us. Rashi says, He didn't take them through the way of Pilishtim. Why? He says, because if the people will see war, they're just freed from Egypt. They've been sitting on their hands while God did all of these miracles for them. Pan, maybe the people will see Milchama, Vishavu Mitzrayim, and they will return to Egypt. What will happen if there's a war, if the Pilishtim come out uh, armed to the teeth and the Jewish people see war in front of them? What will happen? They'll turn around. Why Kikarovu? Because the road is so close, they'll say, what do we need this for? Let's just go back. And by the way, God's fear is actually founded. Look at what happened when they got to the Yamsuf's edge and the Jewish people were scared and they were trapped. What did they say? Let's go back to Egypt. So the fact that they, uh, at the first sign of a problem, were ready to turn around and run back to Egypt, to what we call the devil you know, they were ready to throw themselves back into the waiting arms of their captors, of their masters uh, in Egypt, illustrates how fragile the Jewish people were at that exact moment. And God said, I cannot have them uh, travel this route and see war because they will return to Egypt. Rabotai, I want to take a look and really uh, focus on one word with you today. The word velo naham. And God did not guide them. It's interesting to me that that word naham doesn't only mean to guide, it also means to comfort. Nahamu Nahamu Ami. God says to the Jewish people after the destruction of the temple, you should be comforted, my people. Hamakom yinachem etchem. God should comfort you. Betoch shar amongst the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. That's what we say uh, in, to, uh, to, to mourners. Now in the Syrian community, we don't use the, we don't say the pasuk, we say to Nuhamum and So we don't say that pasuk, but we have another expression which incorporates the same word. You should be comforted from the heavens. God should bring you and your family comfort. Unfortunately, we're noticing in this past week, uh, more and more, there's been an uptick and you're seeing more and more messages going out of people who have passed away, you know, and we're going to unfortunately have to rely on these words and they seem paltry and they seem uh, ineffectual and they seem measly. Hashem should give you comfort. What does that mean? When someone's whole life has been torn apart, what does it mean Hashem should give you comfort? Rabotai, the concept of comfort and the concept of guidance uh, 
are inextricably linked. Why do people feel such a keen sense of loss? People feel so discomforted. They feel so uncomfortable because we can't wrap our heads around what just took place. We can't understand how could it be that this person left? They were such a good person. How could it be that we lost this person? They were so young. They were so healthy. Your brain doesn't want to accept something because it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. They, they shouldn't have died. They were too young to die. Or they were too good to die, right? It doesn't, our brains don't compute. Not only that, we have an understanding of this world and our understanding of this world is this world with our beloved person in it. We don't understand a world that continues to exist without that person. I hear this all the time. I woke up the morning after, the person says to me, I woke up the morning after, and I don't understand. How is the sun shining? How are people going to work? How is the world continuing? As if everything is exactly the same. When everything has changed so drastically for me, I feel left behind by the world. Rabotai, that concept, this idea of nechama, comfort, comes when a person feels that they are being guided. That that which was illogical, that that which they can't get their head around, they can't understand, they at a loss to be able to know how to act and how to continue and how to love and how to live and how to be happy again. This that I don't know how to do. The nechama is in the fact that you are being guided. And that although the route through Eretz Pilishtim seems the most logical, Kikarovu, but at the same time, fascinating Rabotai. The word Karov means close. But the root of the word Karov is Kuf, Resh, Bet, Kirav, Kirav Elamizbeach. Fascinating. Because the word for war in Hebrew is Krav. Isn't that interesting? So God says, don't come this way, Kikarovu. You're looking at it, you, you see closeness, you see a, a quick route, but God says the quick route is the route that's going to lead you to war. I can't have you go that way. You're not ready for this. You're too fragile to be able to. And this is the fascinating thing. Pen, maybe. The people will see milchama. They'll just see it. They won't engage. They won't draw their swords. They won't fight and defend themselves. Rabotai, unfortunately, this flight mechanism is something which is at the core of so many psychological discussions. You know, I always love this idea. People think that um, the only person that is affected by, or you know, is affected by an, ex by an experience is a person who is struggling with that experience, fighting over that experience. But the flight mechanism or the fright mechanism is as valid as the fight mechanism. One more time. There's three possible responses that any person can have to any experience that comes to them in their life. So as an example, there's a breakdown in a relationship, or there's a problem at work, or there's a problem of health, 
or things don't work out the way you wanted them to, or you know somebody somebody else gets chosen uh, ahead of you, or the plans that you thought you building your whole house on you everything you you know you bet your house on this, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work out. All these things. There's three responses that human beings can have. One is fight. So you get in there, you fight for your job, you fight for the relate, you fight for the for the marriage, you fight for the you know connection with your kids, you fight to get your kids into a school or get your kids you know a, a, an opportunity or a, a job or or a scholarship. You know you're fighting for it. The second way is you freeze. You're incapable of acting at all. That's the fright response. The person tells you the relationship's over. They're walking out of the room. And you don't say anything. You're frozen. You can't fight with them. No, stay. You can't fight with them. It's your fault. You can't fight with the school. No, this kid is the right kid. It's the right fix. You can't. You can't fight. You don't have it in you. You're too shell shocked to respond. That's fright. And then the last response, Rabotai, is flight. Is running away. I like to believe that these these three psychological concepts are uh, representative of three figures that historically were present at a great moment in time. You know, Paro has a problem. Paro's problem is that he's worried that the Jewish people are going to run away and that there's one of them that's going to overthrow his kingdom. So he calls in his three advisors. And Bilam says, kill all the Jewish babies. Fight. Iyov stays quiet, fright. How can I put myself into this? If I say to get yes, that he should do it, then I'm a murderer. If I don't say it, I'm going to be murdered. <laughs> so Iov keeps quiet. And what does Yitro do? Runs away. Okay? He runs away. He runs, literally. He leaves. He says, this is insane. I'm not having any part with this. This is crazy. And he leaves. Yitro runs away, so literally you have the three exact responses to the problem that, that, uh, that Moshe, that Paro presents to them. And I think that in many ways we have in our life's experience one of these three sitting with us in every decision that we have to make. We have the Bilam choice, the fight choice. We have that. And sometimes, by the way, the fight choice is the wrong choice. You know, we, as a maybe testosterone-driven men, we think, oh, the flight guy, what a hazik case. The guy ran away from his problems, right? Uh, really, the right move is to fight. It's not, not, none of these is always the right move. You know, and I, I find some people tell me, no, Rabbi, the flight move, you're running away. How can it be that that's the answer to your problems? You should stay, stay here and fight for it. And some people say the opposite. Rabbi, you want me to, you want me to, you, I can't deal with this. I'm leaving. I'm, gonna, I'm moving to another city. I'm going to take my kids out, put them in another school because you're having a problem here. I'm going to, what's it called? I'm going to marry someone else. Meanwhile, the same reason why you had problems with this wife, if you don't fix the problem, you're going to have the same problem with the next wife, right? It's not, if the problem is internal, okay? So sometimes, actually, it's not the fight. It's not the, sometimes it's not the flight. When is fright the right response, Rabbi When is doing nothing the proper response? So I want to, I think that there's something here which I th- uh, is very powerful. What would have been, in an ideal world, 
What would have been if the Jewish people left Egypt, were taken past the land of the Pilishtim, taken to Israel in three days? They could have just traveled, Kikarovu, this short route, no problem. What would have been then? What would have been the ideal scenario? For them to fight would have been a disaster. They had no experience at, at going to war. That would have been crazy. For them to run away, Shavu Mitzrayimah, that also would have been a disaster. What would have been the, appropriately, uh, the appropriate response? The appropriate response for the Jewish people would be to be afraid, but to understand what to do with that fear. Let's analyze a very similar uh, response mechanism. The Jewish people get to the sea. And when they get to the ocean, what happens? The Egyptians are behind them, the ocean's in front of them. And what does God say to them? What does he say? Go. So you'd think they're running. That's, which, which response is that? Flight. The Egyptians behind them, they're running. Yeah, but they're running into an ocean. So on the one hand, they're running from that problem. On the other hand, they're effectively fighting with this problem. What really was the correct response? The correct response really would have been, ironically, fright. To be afraid. To recognize with absolute clarity that there are murderers behind them that want to kill them. To recognize with absolute clarity that in front of them is an ocean. And to run in the ocean without understanding the risks of running in the ocean is suicide. But Rabotai, what God wants of us is not to be people that close our eyes to everything that's going around us, but to figure out how to operate with faith in the space of fright. God said to them, stop praying, travel. What do you mean? Am I not supposed to pray? No. You prayed already. Now do something. That first moment of pure fear. What is it designed to do? The Gemara tells us that there are thunderclaps in the sky, the big booming noise that happens when, the, when you get the, uh, you know, uh, the lightning strikes and there's this big clap of thunder. What happens? Why are they there? The only reason why they are birakim re'emim, says the Gemara, is to put fear of heaven in a Jewish person's heart. What do you do with that fear? You recognize a challenge, you understand it, you don't put blinders on. Today, Rabotai, we're experiencing a very big problem in Israel with this exact situation. You have a very religious community, fringe members, let's be honest, fringe members of it that are fighting with the police, are setting things on fire. Why? Because they're being told to act responsibly and to protect uh, their own health and to protect the health of the country. That's, the, that's what's going on right now on the ground. But you have to recognize here the operation that is happening out of fear. The police are afraid. They're afraid. The country's afraid that people are going to die of a virus that seems to kill and kill and kill. The religious communities are afraid of another problem, of more time with their young people not studying Torah, not praying in Minyanim, not having the spiritual resource to be able to fight back at this pandemic. 
They're, they're afraid. And the response of both the actions of fear, Rabotai, is not to be able to understand the risks on their, in their way properly, but rather is resulting in two sides who are not understanding one another at all. Do you understand what's happening there? You understand the clashes? Each side is looking at the part that they fear and saying that that fear should carry the day. But they're not hearing the other person's fear at all. One of the most important things, I think, and I think maybe perhaps this is the reason why God put into our world the fright mechanism. I get fight, that makes sense. You're fighting against something that's gonna kill you. I get flight, you're a gazelle, you can't punch the lion in the face. Survival indicates need, you need to run. Why would God build into his perfect world a mechanism of freezing? Why put that there? And by the way, if you don't believe in God, that's an even bigger question. Why is there an evolutionary response called the fright mechanism where you're freezing in the moment of fear. Survival should indicate that you either fight or that you run away. Why, why does this even exist? Rabotai, sometimes the correct thing to do in a moment of fear is to freeze, is to pause and understand the lay of the land so that you can then make a fight or flight decision after having amassed enough understanding of what's going on, after having listened you know, I think we're finding that today, and it's such a shame that in the political discussion, no one can be honest enough to say this, that we are, we, are, we are not following science, not the Democrats, not the Republicans. We are following whatever happens to suit us at that moment in time. When Cuomo didn't want it to be the case, then the restaurants and everything had to shut down. Now, you know, economy has to, be, has to be shut down. Everything needs to close. Now that it's more convenient for him, you know, he's deciding that you can't shut down the economy. We won't survive a shutdown. It's the same as it was. What's the difference now and then? When Trump said that we can't control this epidemic, they ate him alive. Yesterday, Biden said, we can't control this epidemic. We, we are not in control of it. What, what? <laughs> Again, I'm not, I'm not for the politics of it, Rabotai. I'm talking for the emet of it. Pause, recognize the risks, understand that sometimes calculated risks allow you to make decisions that might have an, a, a dangerous upside, but there's certain things that you might not be able to live without. And I'm not sanctioning what's going on in B'nai Brak or with weddings or with any of these other things. Because that's not the point of what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about here is that when fear comes to play its hand, when God comes and He takes you to a place, it's close, but it's kerav. It's easy, but it's, there's war. Which, where do you go? Do you go for the fastest route, rip the band-aid off, even though there's going to be war? Do you go the way where there's not war, but it's very long? That has its own dangers too, doesn't it? Ultimately, the only comfort we have when we can be honest and recognize that there are many things that we just don't have the right answers to. And you can't vilify everybody for choosing an answer that's slightly different from yours. 
You want people to be responsible. You encourage them to be so. Yelling and screaming and rioting is not going to change that. It's only going to entrench positions. Pause. Stop. Think. And then come up with something that is actually the best version of fight or flight or even a combination of the two. I think actually the best result has been when we are fighting and flighting at the same time. But you can't do that. You can't fight it and wear masks and fight it and take vaccines, but flight it at the same time and have places open so that economies can survive, so that the poorest people can actually have an income to feed their families, right? And they're not waiting to decide when they're going to play and finish playing games in Congress about when, yes, when they're not going to give their checks or not. What is someone who has no money at home? What are they doing right now? There's a man in Staten Island. He opened his gym. They said, we're going to close your gym. He says, okay, close my gym. And then he came and he opened it again. Then he cut the lock off and then they arrested him. He says, what do you want me to do? I have no money to feed my children. I can't wait for you to decide to get your act together. Rabotai, at that stage, a person is making a choice. I'm not saying that there's no danger whatsoever. I'm saying that I have to live with this danger in some way, shape, or form. And Rabotai, I must say this again and again and again and again and again. The point of this class is not politics. It's not corona and the responses to it. It's in recognizing that a, a human being who's trying to make the right choice has to be able to stop, pause, understand the dangers in front of them and then make the best choice that they can. Ultimately, the only nechama when we are unsure of which way to go, of close but war or long but peaceful. Which way? How do I know? The answer is the only comfort that we can find is that it is God that is guiding uh, uh, us in every step of the way. And when we have the best result, like the splitting of the sea, or we have the worst result, like the attack of Amalek. When we have a terrible result, we have no water to drink, or we have the best result, that Moshe Rabbeinu throws a stick into the water and the water becomes sweet. Again and again and again. We have no food, it's terrible. But then God rains down man from the heavens. All of these dichotomies, the dichotomies of life, when we can admit that we don't have all the answers, we can admit and be comfortable with the fact that we don't know always what to do, but that it is our job as thinking people that we're given, uh, you know, dat from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be able to assess to be able to pray, and then to be able to make the best possible choice for us and our families, that is a nechama, that is a comfort. And, and that makes us comfortable, that we know we've chosen to be able to think it through properly and make, uh, and make the right choices. And Rabbi Utai, if ever there was a, a line that I could tell you about this, uh, this conundrum of life, do your best to make a, a good, a good, a smart decision. But once you've made a smart decision, let it feel like an old pair of jeans. Let it feel like your most comfortable pair of shoes. Live in your decision. Be happy with your decision. Don't be conflicted about your decision. Don't keep revisiting it again and again and again and again and again. If you thought it through, be confident when you make a smart decision that that's what you have and stick to it, ride it out. People right now, they're so confused. And I always ask them, I was like, did you think about this? I thought about that. Think about this? I thought about that. I said, wow, it sounds like you, re you thought about everything. I said, yeah. He says, so what? I said, so what are you worried about? I'm worried about making the wrong decision. I said, well, if you thought about everything, 
and you chose one thing, and you, ha you thought that that was the smartest thing, you're not an idiot. So if you're an idiot, don't make any decisions. If you're not an idiot, and I dare say that that's probably most people here, if you're not an idiot, you've analyzed, you froze for a minute, you looked at everything, you saw the dangers in front of you, the dangers behind you, you saw the karov and the krav, you saw the, the, the long road through the desert, but also the pe it's peaceful but it's long, it might take us, you know, other dangers might come up. And then you made some decision. Find comfort in that guidance, whether it is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in His guiding hand of Hashkacha, or whether it is something that you've actually used, the brains that God gave you to guide yourself and be comfortable and happy uh, with the choices that you make. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chananya.